Bible has endured for generations, been shared around the world, and is still the best-selling book of all time. The Museum of the Bible, located in Washington, D.C., is a 430,000-square-foot building that preserves an abundance of rare and fascinating artifacts. Today, we'll learn about the Museum of the Bible, its mission, four pillars, and about the biblical canon. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Cloya, the Chief Curatorial Officer. He previously served 18 years as Professor of New Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and earned his PhD from the University of Leeds. This is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Dr. Cloya, for being our guest today on Family Shield. Well, thank you, Kay. Thanks for having me on, and please just call me Jeff. Okay, I will do that. <laughs> thank you. So uh, tell our listeners what the mission of the Museum of the Bible is. Well, I'll give you the very long version, right? The Museum of the Bible is a global, innovative, educational institution whose purpose is to invite all people to engage with the transformative power of the Bible. So you kind of unpacked every uh, word in that statement. Innovative, it's a very creative, uh, engaging space. Uh, global, we work with global partners that I'd be happy to talk about. Um, and educational, our focus is education about the Bible and, and uh, helping people to understand it better and, and want to read it more. And then uh, we're here for all people. Uh, the museum is designed to be accessible to anyone of any background uh, focused on the Bible, and um, we want people to uh, come here and, and learn about the Bible, no matter their background, whether they're a person of strong faith or no faith at all, uh, to understand the importance and impact of the Bible today and in the past. That's fantastic. I haven't been there, but I sure hope I can get there one of these days. So it also, you also talk about four pillars uh, of the Museum of the Bible. What are they? Yeah, the four pillars are, uh, the, of course, the museum itself in Washington, which is, you might say, the, the core pillar and uh, what, what everything else revolves around. We also do traveling exhibits in different locations, uh, smaller exhibits that we've done here, and uh, we'll, we'll travel around the world or partner exhibits. We do curriculum, uh, so we have some resources for uh, high school age uh, students, and we've also developed now programs for university courses and programs. And uh, we also do research. So we sponsor archaeological excavations. We sponsor research on our collection and uh, other objects. We do some scholarships for students in the biblical studies areas. Uh, we want to prepare the next generation of uh, you know scholars and, mm -hmm. and uh, solid information about the Bible. So, so those are the four pillars, but it really revolves around the museum in Washington, D.C., and, and that's our, our kind of main focus and uh, means of engagement with the public. Wonderful, wonderful. That is fantastic. Well, I thought we'd just ask, I'd just ask you some questions that I think our listeners would be interested in. I know education about the Bible is certainly one of them. Uh, can you talk about the biblical canon and why uh, we have 66 books in the Bible? Yeah, that's a, a question that I could spend an entire semester course I that, talking yeah. about. So. <laughs> But there's, you know, there's a couple of ways you could answer the question. There's theological answer, of course, is uh, what is the nature of the Bible and what is its purpose, right? So God's Word, which uh, brings life, right? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, 
and this word which testifies about Christ. So without that message, without the gospel message, uh, the Bible itself would, would essentially have no purpose or function, right? So you mm-hmm. can answer that theologically. And then the, the books of the canon are part of the canon because they contribute to that proclamation, right? In some ways, in very direct uh, ways, like in the Gospels or the Pauline Epistles, uh, sometimes in more indirect ways, uh, you know, some of the prophetic books, for example. But in some way, you know, they all contribute to that purpose of uh, understanding that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you may have life in his name, uh, to use the Gospel of John. Um, the historical answer, of course, is is uh, more complicated and um, uh, requires a bit of kind of piecing together. So it's asking questions like, uh, you know, when were the books themselves written? Uh, when were they being used by, uh, you know, groups of people in different locations? In other words, they're serving as authoritative, not just for one community, but for multiple communities. When are they described as God's Word or described as Scriptures? When are they being copied in manuscripts and being copied together in a single book? And and so there's you know there's actually a, a great deal of information uh, that we have, which unfortunately doesn't often make it into the mainstream conversation. Mm. You know the popular misconception is that the Bible was, you know, you maybe you heard this like from the Da Vinci Code that yeah. the Bible was uh, you know decided by a bunch of bishops at the mm. Council of Nicaea in 325. Mm. You know and they they didn't have the Gospels before then. They didn't even believe Jesus was divine oh. at that point. You know, and it's wrong and on every level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, they didn't even talk about the Bible at 325. Mm. Um, they were already using it. We have manuscripts that date before then that show that they're using the Bible as authoritative. We have people talking about the writings of the New Testament and the Old Testament as authoritative in the second century. Um, so, so the historical uh, way that we can show how the Bible came together is actually quite fascinating. And and certainly more uh, robust and definitive than it's often portrayed in the media. Um, it is not the case that they were deciding what was in the Bible in 325. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had already been determined, yeah. uh, and they were just um, using it as authoritative uh, from the very beginning. Um, so that's a very quick thumbnail, but um, uh, I really encourage people to um, uh, you know look at some solid resources on this topic, because like there, there is a lot of you know, misinformation, misperception. Very much so. Uh, yeah. 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 I know, um, well, oh, we could talk about the Apocrypha, but so many other books, I think it was just, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, uh, the Book of Thomas was being talked about, and everybody thought, why isn't that in the Bible? And yeah. you had... And then again, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not a new discovery. It's been around for, right. you know, certainly 75 years. We've had, you know, manuscripts of the Gospel of Thomas, um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, we, we could talk about all number of levels. It's mm-hmm. not a narrative. Um, it doesn't actually have a gospel message in mm-hmm. it. It's a kind of a collection of sayings. Uh, we know where they come from, you know, so, and and it was never treated on the same level as Matthew, Mark, Luke, mm-hmm. and John. Mm-hmm. Right? It's known by some people, um, but it's not regarded as a you know gospel according to uh, in the same way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. Yeah. And you know, significantly, which you can see here at the museum. Um, there are no copies of manuscripts that have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Thomas, right? It's by itself, and it's never with the canonical Gospels. Um, so, you know, just a, a quick example yeah. of it. it. pops up in the news occasionally, but it's not a new thing. You know, scholars know 
what it is, the kind of community that produced it, and uh, it's it's not very difficult to put it in a, a correct historical perspective. Yeah. Yeah, well, good. I, I, Yeah, that's brief, and um, I'm sure you have a display of this information, but it's not something that a lot of people understand, and I think that's why right. they get confused, so that's good. Yeah. So uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Why do Christians believe the Bible is inspired by God, and why can we know that it is reliable? Just uh, that verse just being one of the verses that might be referenced for that. Right. Yeah, you know, certainly the Scriptures themselves uh, describe themselves as, as God speaking to His people. You know, so on the basis of its own self testimony. And our, you know, confidence, you know, created by the Spirit in in that God is trustworthy and reliable. Um, you know, that's that's the primary means by which we uh, understand its authority. It's it's uh, it's God's word. It accomplishes His purposes, and we trust His promises. So, you know, it's it's a it is in some ways a matter of of faith. You know, mm. people can read the same book and decide that it's not God's word. Um, they can, you know. Put it on a level with other writings, or or uh, treat it in in a different way, but it's it's by the Spirit's guidance and uh, the creation of faith that we we come to know Christ and and the Father and the Spirit and and come to have confidence in Him and His Word and and rely on it. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we could say historically, in a way, that it's proven itself over these you know, many thousand years, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. uh, that the uh, uh, the gospel continues to be preached, the Church continues to grow, and uh, thrive even in, in very difficult situations. But, you know, even if it weren't, you know, successful, to use those words, it's still God's Word, it still accomplishes mm-hmm. His purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I know uh, many of the people that come to your museum, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., probably uh, don't believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Uh, I think um, statistically, I read just recently from Barna that only 4% of this population, I think it was only in the United States, uh, believe in a biblical worldview. <laughs> and, uh, that went down, I know it just a few years ago, it was 7%. So you must be doing a lot to reach out to other people, and that is fantastic. Um, but of course, you know, th- hopefully as they come and learn more about God's Word, they do begin to understand what the Bible is really does teach but it's a yeah. process isn't it they have to get in yeah. and get yeah, we yeah and you know we're we're just a museum you know to put it that way we're, we're very big and, and i think an amazing place and i hope you all come see it mm-hmm. but at the end of the day you know we we're we're serving kind of a uh, i think an important but a, a unique role right people come to washington from all over the country all mm-hmm. over the world they come to see the you know the Star-Spangled Banner. They come to see the Declaration of Independence. They come to see the Wright Brothers flyer. Right. Well, we, we think they should learn something about the Bible. Okay. Uh, that is part of our history. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, something that's been impactful in our world and still is impactful today. And uh, no matter your background, you should learn something about the Bible. Uh, 
And uh, we try to present it in a way that is, uh, I'll just say, overwhelmingly impressive. (laughs) It's It's an amazing space. The exhibits are very well designed. They're attractive. They're interactive, all kinds of media with it. Um, the collection is outstanding. Uh, you cannot possibly walk through this this museum and not think the Bible is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And and if we can, you know, get at least that far when we have them for two or three or four hours, yeah. and they take that back with them wherever they're from and want to learn more, you know, uh, read it on their own, connect with their church or connect with a church, right? That's that's you know, then we've done our work. Uh, yeah. But but to have a, a, a something you know different something unique mm-hmm. that tries to present the bible in a in a way that is in some ways surprising yes. for people who have as you said kind of written it off right yeah you have to you have to use uh god's word but you have to help them understand there's so much in there and uh, uh, it sounds like an amazing museum Uh, my husband and I went to the creation museum in Noah's Ark last summer and I've been adding that to my list of what parents should be uh, taking their children, especially as they start getting a little bit older, to see that place. And now I'm going to have to add the museum. I mean, what a great place that would be for a high school uh, graduation trip. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's just it's necessary. Of one of my uh, one of the things I'm really pleased with is the response we get from uh, like middle school, high mm. school students. Um, you know, we get school groups in here all the time from all kinds of backgrounds and. And uh, to see kids, um, you know, because, well, let me give you my standard joke, right? When most people hear the word museum, right, especially a teenager, they're going to think, well, what do they think, right? Yeah. Old, oh, no. <laughs> boring, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when most people hear the word Bible, right, most will think probably old, yeah. boring, yeah. right? So what could possibly be worse than a museum of the Bible, right? <laughs> what could possibly be more yeah. boring? Yeah. And and as soon as you walk in the front door, it's obvious that this is not an old, boring place. It's yeah. it's, it's beautiful. It's alive. Oh, it's interactive. Nice. It's it's just stunning. Yeah. And and to see kids who, you know, maybe got tired of walking through the all the museums on the mall to come here and and they're actually excited. They leave excited. Yeah, they're they're great. You know, oh. it's just it's just great. You know, yeah. and and um, it it definitely is something that uh, they will they will take something significant away from. And in a way that they uh, probably aren't expecting, right? Yeah. They're expecting dull. Mm-hmm. They're leaving excited, mm-hmm. which, which is what we're trying to That's work. That's what you want to do, absolutely. Well, let me uh, transition to some announcements. Uh, Family Shield Ministries cares about families growing in Christ and equips them to witness to each other and to the world. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 stations throughout the United States, and our podcast is heard on many podcast platforms. We also coordinate the Counter Cult Ministry and our educational and evangelism services. This now includes Faith Family Reunion, our newest ministry that serves parents of prodigals, adult children that grew up in the faith but have left the faith. Today, we're also giving away the booklet, The Bible, What, When, and Why. To receive a copy or get a digital copy, call 1-877-250-8416 or email us at witness to family at gmail.com. We encourage our listeners to become a partner with us in accomplishing Family Shield's vision and mission. Join us in prayer, mail a donation, or give online at 
www.familyshieldministries.com. Now I want to go back to my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Cloya, the Chief Curatorial Officer of the Museum of the Bible. I want to ask you a question about prophecies. Um, I have found when I talk to people that don't really believe the Bible, I often will go to the Old and New Testament prophecies because this is so amazing. And yet some people, many people, don't understand it or have never heard it. Why are the Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment in the New Testament especially about Christ, so important. And then can you share a couple prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament about Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mean, there's, again, a very large question. Um, but right. the um, I think what's especially significant is that this uh, message of the Scriptures um, is both historically grounded so we're you know we're talking about a, a, a history right of the children of Israel, promises made of restoration of God visiting His people in uh, sometimes very broad ways, sometimes very specific ways, and then centuries later this plan unfolds and it is fulfilled in a person and eventually in the church which follows. So to have that long continuity across centuries and across different authors points to an essential unity of the book itself, uh, and also the unfolding of this plan that God had uh, destined from the beginning, you know, to use the language of Ephesians, Mm -hmm. Uh, this mystery, which is now fulfilled and and, uh, made clear. So, you know, again, uh, for a lot of people, the Bible is not a historical book, it's not grounded in history, but that's, you know, really an essential feature, that God is someone who works historically uh, through specific people, uh, through specific actions, and uh, and this gets unfolded in very concrete, specific ways in our world. So it's not just a you know myths and fables mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the most significant prophecies are around uh, uh, you know God's ultimate restoration in the person of Christ. Right, that mm-hmm. that there would be an ultimate prophet who would reveal God's will, an ultimate priest who would perform the ultimate sacrifice and an ultimate king who would rule over his people uh, in mercy and uh, to provide them you know, with life. So um, all these things that are discussed and prefigured in, in the Old Testament uh, come to fulfillment in a single person of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you want one, I think a, mm-hmm. it, it might not be an obvious one, um, but I, I think a really significant one is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, it's it's the only miracle aside from the resurrection, which is recorded in all four Gospels. So you know it's important. Yeah. And um, when when he performs that miracle, right, people realize that Jesus is doing something that, first of all, only God can do. And prior to that, only one other person did, who was Moses. Right. Moses fed to the children of Israel through the manna in the wilderness. He was God's prophet who provided for the needs of all his people miraculously. And here now Jesus, all these, you know, 1,400 years later, is doing exactly the same thing. And and you recall, and John, right, they want to make him a king afterward, because they get oh, it, yeah. right? They understand right. that God is now working through this one fulfillment of his promises to care for his people. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's how God repeats uh, his promises and fulfills his promises in very concrete ways 
And again, he continues to do so today. Yes, so, you know, from our Lutheran Catechism, right? Mm-hmm. He daily and richly provides us all with all that we need to support this body and life, right? Purely out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, right? Yes. And and you see it in the person of Jesus fulfilled right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good. I had never thought of that one as as a prophecy from from. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a Testament. you know here's a verse yeah. here's a fulfillment, but it's it's a um, you know. God said he was going to take care of us, right? How does right. he do it? Well, boom, there it is, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Very good. Good, good, good. Okay, now I asked my husband what question would he like me to ask you. <laughs> and uh, um, I- I'm not sure if you would even uh, know about this, but he's been reading the reports of archaeological evidence of recent findings uh, of, he said, over 300 Egyptian warriors and chariots and their weapons. Um, and he wanted me to ask you if those are true do you know anything about that it would be the crossing of the red sea you know with moses talking about that and i said well where did you read that (laughs) you know what what document was it and he didn't remember i said well you need to remember a lot of times what you read isn't true but it depends you know and i just thought i would ask you um i mean archaeology does uh often you know help us know the truth about God's Word. But do you know anything about that? And do you, at the museum, uh, do research on things like that that come up to see if they're true? Yeah, well, archaeology is a, a historical discipline also, and fascinating. Uh, I find it personally very interesting, and we certainly talk about it at the museum. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, uh, I've, so I, I will say I'm not aware of any um, uh, verified discoveries of, okay. uh, you know, Egyptian soldiers in, mm-hmm. in the Red Sea. Um, there's various efforts and theories about things, but there's not been a, a scientific excavation that has located, uh, uh, you know, that particular event. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd say what archaeology, and, well, here at the museum we have actually, just to boast, we have the largest display of the archaeology of the land of Israel. Hmm. outside of Israel itself. Really? We have over 800 objects on display, all from Israel, uh, from the Old Testament period, New Testament period, amazing things, and, and and showing very concrete ways things described in the Bible. So, um, And I can talk about some specifics, but what are, and we do sponsor also two excavations. Uh, oh, one wonderful. In, one in Tel Shimron in Galilee, and the other in El Araj, which is now almost certainly uh, determined to be the biblical site of Bethsaida. Mm-hmm. Uh, the home of Peter. Um, and uh, you can go online and look at all that. It's a pretty cool uh, process of discovery over the last several years, and we're really excited to be a part of that. Um, but what archaeology does is, is um, you know, it's, it's peeling back layers and finding things that are kind of left over, right? And it's only part of, you know, the whole story, right? Um you're finding, uh, you know, kitchen utensils and weaponry and things like that, and then you kind of have to piece it together, figure out where in history it comes from. Um, but what's amazing is the way the Bible describes uh, history, describes the events, uh, coheres exactly with what we find in the archaeological record, right? So, you know, you could talk about a synagogue in Capernaum, and you can go and see a synagogue from the first century in Capernaum, right? Oh, nice. The one that says that Jesus went around the villages of Galilee preaching in their synagogues. We have a bunch of synagogues found from the first century that Jesus uh-huh. would have walked into, yeah. right? Um, uh, so it, it, 
it, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, it's not just kind of fables. It's not, you know, made-up stuff. It's it's concrete, and you can see the the actual kind of evidence of the daily lives, the locations, the buildings, all these things. My, my favorite, actually, is if you go to Capernaum, or sorry, to um, not Capernaum, to um, Caesarea, uh, Caesarea on the Mediterranean. Uh, Herod built a palace. Herod the Great built a palace, uh, of course, on the Mediterranean Sea, beautiful beach house. And uh, in the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul is uh, uh, kind of made to give an account in uh, before Festus, in that palace that belonged to Herod, he uses a specific term uh, to describe the room in which he would have uh, kind of given his account. And if you go to that palace in Caesarea, there's a sign in what that room exactly was, because it's kind of a specific room in a Roman kind of villa sort of a thing, and you can stand exactly in the room where Paul stood in Acts 25. Mm. It's it's amazing, right? Wow. Uh, it's So, I, of course, I had my picture taken out, because yeah, <laughs> of course you're going to do that, right? Absolutely. So it, it's, it's that kind of thing. You know, we have uh, we have a display in, the, in our archaeology exhibit. Um, there's descriptions of the destruction of Jerusalem, of course, in 586 oh, B.C. Yeah. Uh, by the uh, Babylonians, right? Uh-huh. Well, we have arrowheads excavated from Jerusalem from that attack, and we have uh, um, bits of furniture from the burn layer to the destruction layer of Jerusalem in 586, right? So it happened, right? And here's the arrowheads, here's the destruction that occurred. You you can see it, right? It's it's right there. You don't have to beat people over the head with it. It's it's just right in front of you, right? Uh, I hope people have an opportunity to come to the museum. It really yeah. is a, a unique opportunity to hear about the uh, the history of the Bible, uh, its origins in the ancient world, all the way through modern translations. We had an amazing collection of manuscripts and, and early printed editions. Martin Luther, of course, is a big piece of that story. Um, we have uh, the impact of the Bible in America and around the world. How has the Bible impacted language and music and literature and government, all kinds of areas? How has it been uh, a part of American history? And then uh, uh, fun, interactive spaces to learn more about the narratives of the Bible. What's the basic narrative of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible? What's the narrative of the New Testament? Um, very uh, fun and engaging, and, and we just hope we can be part of the uh, efforts to help people you know, get excited about the Bible, learn more about the Bible, get into it more deeply, and uh, let that Word of God do its work. Great. That sounds wonderful, and I wish we had more time. I, I do think uh, one of my other board members is going to be setting up another program with you because there's so much more that needs to be addressed, but we're pretty much out of time. So again, this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. My guest has been Reverend Jeffrey Cloya. Uh, uh, he is with the Museum of the Bible that's in Washington, D.C., and I say with him, yes, you, you need to take a trip to Washington, D.C. to see this. Um, I definitely am interested and haven't thought about going to D.C. for a long time again. So again, Kay Meyer, uh, check out our website at familyshieldministries.org. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.